Welcome everybody to a very special episode of Option 5. I am so, so excited today for our guest. Uh, Jeff Gotthelf is the author of several books now, but originally Lean UX, now Sense and Respond, and then Lean versus Agile versus Design Thinking, and has created even a um, uh, publishing press, Sense and Respond Press, for a number of different other authors as well. He's had nearly 20 years in the digital product and services space, um, speaking and coaching and consulting, and uh, if you haven't heard of him, then you definitely need to be paying more attention to what's happening in the product space. Um, He has been revolutionary in the way that we think here at Crema. And I am just so excited to have the chance to uh, to interview him. I, I spent just a short amount of time with him and I just, I I got selfish. I'm not going to lie. I got a chance to really ask him some questions that we've been thinking about both in how product teams run about what makes them effective. And then the big question is about how they scale into larger organizations. So, um, with no further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Jeff. First off, thank you so much uh, for being willing to jump in. I know you're a busy guy, and um, to capture even 30 minutes of your time is a, is a big deal. Uh, a little bit for me, a little bit of a fanboy, not going to lie. Um, just, um, uh, and we'll get into that in a second, but um, really love the th- things that you've been creating over the years. Um, uh, but I want to give it to you first. Go ahead and give a, a quick introduction to yourself um, and kind of what you've been working on, and then we'll we'll jump in. I have a handful of questions, but really this our podcast is very conversational. Um, and we'll we'll kind of unpack it as we move forward. Uh, my name is Jeff Gotthelf. I work today. I work as a coach and a consultant and a speaker and a trainer with mostly large and medium-sized organizations, helping them build better products and helping the leaders of those organizations create the cultures that build better product. Gosh, I love that. I'm. Um, that's it's almost kind of what we nerd out on as well. So I, I think we'll have a lot to to chat about today. So thank you again so much for joining me. Um, I wanted to just quickly give you a little bit of recap of kind of what Option 5 is. Why is this podcast called Option 5? What the heck does that mean? Um, why did this random person invite you on to a, a, a weird titled podcast at least? Uh, so my business partner and I have been doing a, a small product agency here in Kansas City for the last 10 years. Um, we're in my mind, a lot bigger than, um, I'm still that kid in my second bedroom, right? Um, but uh, we're about 40 people now. So a good size, good size team. And we're similarly working with mostly enterprise clients um, kind of all over the world, doing everything from design thinking all the way through uh, full stack building. Um, uh, that's kind of our, our, our position. Where option five came from was a few years back, we had the opportunity to take on a new big client. And we went through like these brilliant options of how we were going to take on the, the, the project and how we were going to say yes. And it was kind of this beautiful thing, but we realized none of them were actually going to work. And so option five for us, we jokingly said, well, let's just option five it. And option five was say yes and figure it out. Um, so it basically was getting at that heart of uh, just take a risk, step forward into come maybe some of the unknown and, uh, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll learn as we go. And I think that that culture of learning uh, was really what, what led us to step forward. So part of our podcast is kind of twofold. One is to hear people's personal journeys around where, where their option five moments um, that kind of led them to where they are now. And then two, given what Crema does, we really primarily focus on building product teams inside of Crema and then helping our clients build product teams uh, to sometimes replace us. And so I love talking to thought 
you know, thought leaders and, and thinkers on that space of what makes a really effective team. So, so I, w- I want to say first, I said I'm fanboying a little bit because we read, we picked up your book, I think maybe the day it came out, we might've been on a pre-order or something. Um, the lean UX, what gosh, seven years ago now, I don't know how many six and a half, right? Yeah. And I don't, there we had read the, the lean startup, you know, and that was in that era of kind of uh, the lean movement was really moving quickly. Um, but when we picked up the lean UX, what was great for us is we weren't, we didn't view ourselves as a startup. And so we, we really had a hard time resonating with this thing that we thought it ought to work like that. And then you wrote a book that I thought was a very practical, um, application to this, this thought process. And we took it to heart. And so almost the last six years, six and a half years has been us, um, really using a lot of that language that you had in that first book. Um, shaping the way that we work at Crema. So I want to say thank you first off for 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 doing that. That's it's, it's, it's my pleasure. And it's a thrill to hear, right? I mean, it's 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 you know you 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 do this stuff, you put it out there, and you hope it helps somebody. And it's it's and you know every now and again I hear from folks to that to say that that it helped, and that's it's it's always great to hear. So I'm thrilled that's to hear. It. That's what you want. That's what you want. Well, just thank you again. Um, okay, so I really want to throw it back to you. First first question. This is kind of one that we're starting the season two for us, asking everyone is. What would you say when I just described option five, what would you say was, has been maybe the most important or just moment, the most interesting option five moment where you took that risk to get uh, to where you are? That's now? an easy answer for me. It's writing lean UX or mm. choosing to write lean UX mm. because I never had any intention of writing a book. As far as I was concerned, this was kind of a, a, a task of Mount Everest sized proportions, right? Right. I, I wasn't... Yeah an active writer at the time. I mean, maybe I was blogging every now and again, 500 words, 750 words. It's to yeah. write a 30, 40, 50,000 yeah. word book. Man, literally to me, that's, that was like going to the moon. And so, uh, and I never, I never sought it out. I was just started to, to publish some ideas and to speak about some of the work that we were doing at the ladders back in mm-hmm. the kind of the late mm-hmm. aughts, right? Yes. Right. Is that what we're calling it now? I okay. So. I got to learn that. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> And at some point, what I learned is that is that tech publishers go to tech conferences to see mm. what the latest topics are and who are the people speaking credibly oh, yeah. about those topics. Uh, and yeah. Lean UX, really more importantly, designed and UX in an agile environment was was and continues to be a very hot topic. I had an answer. It wasn't the only answer, but it was I had an answer. And sure. so I got pitched to write a book and again, I was, I was flattered, I suppose, sure, initially, yeah. right? Sure. But yeah. beyond that, yeah. I zero idea how to do this. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I'll figure it out. And I did it. Um, I actually ended up getting two offers, believe it or not, wow. to write the Lean UX book, wow. which was super interesting. I didn't know that. And speaking of the Lean startup, I right before I was going to accept a different publisher's offer, and I bumped into Eric Reese. Um, in uh, at a uh, at a lean startup meetup in New York City. Okay. And I said, Hey, listen, I, I'm going to okay. write the Lean UX book. I'm going to write it for this other publisher. And he said, Wait, don't do anything. <laughs> he said, I'm starting this series oh, with wow. O'Reilly, the Lean series of books. I'm the executive oh. editor on it. Let me get you a meeting. Oh, that changes everything. Yeah. And so, so he got me a meeting, and I met with them, and they said we'd like to publish it. And uh, and at that point, it was just a choice of well, I mean. Uh, you know, the offers were generally similar. It was go write a book and we'll sell it and 
you get like this much <laughs> right. I I've had some friends that have written books, so I totally get it. Yeah, um, but I think the difference for me was that Eric was associated with this other it's one, huge. and, and he, his you know his his plume his mm-hmm. uh, wake was mm-hmm. very broad and very and, and you know kind of very rapid. So I chose to do that, and everything changed when that book launched in March of 2013. Uh, there, to your point, it had been on people's waiting lists for a while. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's done well. It continues to do well to my amazing surprise and uh, completely changed my life, completely changed what people were asking me to do, the work that I was doing, um, kind of the, the opportunities that I've had in the last six and a half years. Look, I live here abroad in, in yeah. Spain because of that book, because, the, of, because of the kind of the career evolution that that has led to. That's incredible. I, I've... I, I'm, I love hearing about those stories because oftentimes they're not incredibly intentional at first. Um, and they're, they're at the right time, right place or whatever that you want to say, luck or whatever that is. Um, the, just being, being willing to step into it though, uh, that's a huge task. And like you said, I could imagine we've talked about writing, Dan and I, my business partner, talked about writing a book together and um, yeah, don't even know where to start. I mean, that's just such a daunting thing to do. So yeah. Um, so kudos. That's it. And incredible that you actually pulled it off and to go on and then do it again. And now uh, I know with your new uh, publishing uh, press, um, doing it yourself too. So that's really exciting. Yeah. I, I, you know, look, I, it, at this point, I've now written, technically I've written three books. The last one was very short. It was only about 6,000 words, but, um, but only 6,000 words is something I can say today and, and credibly feel like that I'm saying that honestly, you know, right, six, right. O- only 6,000 words, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago when I started writing Lean UX, if, if you would have said 6,000 words to me, that was, you know, it's a term paper, right? Right. right. I'm done, done with those. I'm not doing any more of those. It's um, too much. But, yeah. But, but so, so yeah, so it's, it's practice and, and I enjoy doing it and, and it's, it's, it's a big deal, but, um, but you're right. It's, it is, it is luck to an extent. Mm-hmm. But it's but to your point about that option five kind of concept, it's being ready to seize an opportunity that fell into your lap. Yeah, luckily, that's exactly right. It's exactly, and, and that's where we see whether it's our clients or even the decisions we made over the years. That's where we see the most success. Um, I mean, there's obviously the hard work of just grinding out things, but the, it's mostly when you're willing to kind of step into the unknown and be willing to learn as you as you do it. So, well, I want to jump into. Um, you know, obviously your books are very much targeted at organizational structure and, and teams and team makeups. So I have a few questions here I want to throw at you and just kind of um, maybe maybe have get your thoughts on. And I'll be honest, some of these are selfish because we're trying to always get better ourselves. So, um, uh, but I want to get kind of straight to it. Um, what would you think, how would you define kind of a high performing product team? What does that look like? I've worked on high performing product teams and I can tell you that the qualities that those teams portray are there's there's soft skills the things the things that people call soft skills today they are a high level of trust Mm. that's absolutely critical i I trust the people who do other things other than me to do a great job and to consult me and to uh to to be open and and uh, create that kind of psychological safety to work with them, right? They're not, mm-hmm. you know, so that's so that's one. Um, the next quality of that team is uh, uh, curious. So that team is is curious about 
always looking for a better way to do something. So because they trust each other, they can say, hey, listen, that was good, but hey, this, this is probably a better way to do that. Let's figure that out. And, they, right. and it's, it's not seen as critique, or I, I'm sorry, it's not seen as criticism. It's more a critique of the way that we're working um, and let's move forward. And I think the third quality of that, of a high performing team is humility. I think that that's, that's absolutely the key. Um, a, humble, a humble team course corrects. The mm-hmm. course correct based on evidence, despite being good at their jobs, despite being experts, despite loving their ideas, and we all love our ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the face of feedback, evidence, whatever it is that says, look, it's not working. I know we love it. I know we're good at this, but it's just not working. They're willing to reconsider, to change course, and to figure out a different way. I, I think between those three qualities, trust, curiosity, and humility, you can truly build uh, high-performing, high-performance teams that succeed con- regularly and consistently. And consistently, I think that's awesome. And, and how do you? So how do you think that plays out? Or I guess the question is, how does it scale? When you think, I, I can definitely see how that works when you're in a small team, right? Um, which is really what we sell. We smell, sell uh, small cross-discipline teams. Um, which are made up of similar to what you've mentioned in your books, uh, designers, strategists, product managers, and, and developers working together, um, oftentimes in collaboration with developers on our client side or with the product owner on our client side, using some of the principles and ceremonies and whatnot of name framework, right? Um, but what we do find a challenge is how to instill that, that type of culture into an organization at scale. Yeah, it's it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult because, generally speaking, this is not what organizations pay their people to do. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. don't pay them to be curious. They don't pay them. Uh, sure, be you, you can build trust if you like. Sure. But what I what I pay you to do is to perform the skill that I hired you to do uh, as quickly as efficiently and as the highest quality possible. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, right? That doesn't sound like anything terrible, right? right? But we're not incentivizing those teams to be curious. We're not incentivizing those teams to ensure that what they're doing builds value. And if it doesn't build value, to raise that up and and to 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 ask for course correction or to drive a course mm-hmm, correction, mm-hmm. Um, it's just not what we pay or reward in most situations. And to me, that's why this breaks at scale. Um, it there, you know, it is a cultural change, right? It's, right. it's moving away from this culture focused strictly on delivery to a culture focused on learning. Mm-hmm. And and continuous improvement and um, and agility and customer centricity and if we don't incentivize those behaviors if we don't build that into the culture into the performance management systems um, then people are some people may try to work that way but they will absolutely run into people who say look everything you're doing is great but I got to build the app and it's got to be done by Thursday or I don't get my bonus right and the incentive right. structure is based on that too exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so to me, that, that's, that's the challenge that we face 
in scaling this. Now, there's other challenges as well, obviously. You know, if you've got, you know, 50 curious, humble, trusting teams all exploring different things, how do we make sure that they're talking to each other and there's mm-hmm. transparency and there's alignment? Um, and that, that's, that's a legitimate challenge and one that should be considered. But I've rarely found the organization that has scaled to that many teams to, you know, there, there are, you know, you can, you could argue Spotify to some extent does some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, a bank in Australia, New Zealand, ANZ, um, that is experimenting with that. They took the entire Australia division of the bank and broke it down into 150, they call them startups. Huh. Huh. But, but basically they're cross-functional, small cross-functional teams. Yeah, right. right who work towards some kind of an outcome. They're, they're, they're searching for uh, continuous improvement. Um, how does that work with 150 teams? Oh man. I don't know. We, I think at, at scale, the biggest scale that we see is maybe, maybe a, a dozen at most. Um, and that's a big organization. We're talking, you know, a global organization that has departments that don't even know the other department exists. Right. Um, you know, um, and that's, so it's a question that we come up against a lot because what we find is that the teams that will work with us and, and, um, are exploring this new way of working for many of them, um, cause it is breaking a mold of uh, long drawn out specification documents that they've kind of gone through their IT departments or procurement and then X, Y, and Z. And we kind of say, Hey, it's just not how we work. Our contracts don't look like that. And let's do it differently. Hard sell, I will say, hard sell up front. But once they get in, it, it almost always is a very positive thing. And our, retain, our retainers are very high because of that. But what the challenge is, is they go, we want to take this to the rest of the org. Well, I don't, I, that's, that is, that's, that's a challenge. It's a big challenge. Look, if you can make it work on a small subset of the organization, one team, two teams, yeah, yeah. whatever, right? And if you can make it work, then what you're doing is you're generating evidence. Evidence yeah. that this can work yeah. And it can work here, and not only that, but it is a uh, it's it's beneficial, right? The teams are more productive, they're more efficient, they're happier, they retain longer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That's evidence uh, that you can then use to say, look, we got three teams working this way, and they're crushing it yeah. across across the yeah. board. How do we get all thirty of our teams working this way? Mm. We've we've proven the model in a small like, like like let's figure out let's can we go from three to nine. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Using the evidence is the the kind of key driver. Yeah. Yeah. And and look, you don't, you don't have to go from three to thirty. Sure. Right. Or even from three to twelve. Go from three to five. Five mm-hmm. to seven. Right. The, the, you'll start to discover the challenges of having five of these teams working this way, right. nine of these teams. Right. right. And and hopefully, as you start to solve for that, you then prove that you can scale it, you know, to seven, and then fifteen, and then thirty, and so forth. So, so that to me, that's that's uh, a good way to to figure out how to uh, how to solve for some of those challenges. Yeah, it's great. Um, so you mentioned a lot in, in different places in your books, whether it's in Sense of Respond, even your most recent one, um, Lean versus I'm going to get the order wrong. Lean versus uh, Agile versus Design Thinking, um, and um, around this idea of kind of the habits and disciplines, um, both in the team, um, and sometimes in the organization, the individual, what are some of the habits or disciplines that you see? Obviously there, you have the principles, but the more the habits or disciplines you see that really help a team be effective. One of the things that I don't get religious about is process or process recipes. Yeah. Yeah. How, however, to that end, there are specific practices that come out of the recipes that um, a lot of teams use that are really powerful. 
for example, retrospectives. Mm-hmm. Retrospectives is a Huge. it's an agile right it's, it's it's an agile recipe thing. It's in Scrum. It comes in straight from the Agile Manifesto, really. Um, and to me, the retrospective is probably the most powerful technique to come out of the Agile recipe book because it forces an honest, transparent conversation on a mm-hmm. regular basis with the people that you work with. And the goal is not just to make the product better, but to make the process better. Yeah. And they suck at first. They're awkward at first. Yeah. Especially if a team hasn't done it. Yeah. It just feels, it feels like a really kind of terrible therapy session where <laughs> nobody wants to say anything, you know, kind of a group therapy kind of thing. No one wants to say anything and no, you know, cause you're not, no one wants to, no one wants to point any fingers and no one wants to lay blame at anybody's feet necessarily, but you didn't like how something happened. And so um, if you can get a good facilitator, someone to help you through that, that builds trust, it builds right. transparency. After four or five or six of these, if you genuinely get better at them, you build trust with your teams, right? I know now that I can get up in front of my colleagues and I can tell them how I think things are going and no one's gonna mm. get mad at me about that. And so to me, the retrospective is, a, is probably the most powerful way to start to build uh, trust, humility, and ultimately curiosity into the way that we work. But trust and humility for sure can come out of solid retrospective practice. Well, and it forces you to constantly be learning. And I think that's something you talk about a lot in your books is, is this idea of we need to be putting kind of the learning at a, as a higher value. And, and that is an exercise that forces you to go. We need to learn not only is, is the project going well, just in general, but are we working well? Yeah. Um, and I exactly. think that's, that's a much different way of I don't think many organizations, more, but not many, um, are, have ever even thought about that question. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I have to jump to your most recent book. I did read it very quickly this week because I got all of your books from the press, um, which I was really excited about, and honestly, it's already been going around the office. Um, uh, I do have a question. Why is yours only 30 minutes when all the rest are 40? 40 minute reads. <laughs> I, uh, so, 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 I mean, there's a good, there's a good reason for that. Mine was the test. Ah, uh, okay. Fair so enough. So the press exists because that book succeeded oh, and, cool. uh, I, I extended it from a 750 word blog to 6,000 words because I ran out of time. It's great. It's great. Honestly, I really enjoyed it. And, and it, what's, what's fantastic. I just actually went back to my randomly, I was on LinkedIn today and I went back to my profile and at one point, I haven't updated my profile in years because I haven't changed my job in years. And it said something about the fact that George is passionate about lean, agile, and design thinking. <laughs> and I went, oh, this is good timing. I should, I should bring that up. So the question begs, and everybody will be asking, which is the right framework? Which is the right thing to do? So I'll throw it to you. Which is the right one? Which is the right process? Right. And, and so, you know, as the book, the book is very good at, I hope, at... at making the point is that there is no right process, right? right? But, right. Um, and, and, and really, and, and so many organizations try to layer these processes on top of each other mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of dole out the training based on discipline. But the reality is, is the f- principles that underlie lean, agile, and design thinking, generally speaking, are very, very similar. 
Now you're going to get the, the religious zealots who are going to tear me, tear <laughs> me cult, apart on this. The cult of agile and the cult uh, yeah. <laughs> of lean. And, and lean, I mean, there, yeah. there's, a, there's a cult of lean for yeah. sure. Yeah, for I mean, sure. look, I, and when I talk about lean publicly, um, I always apologize. First of all, I always ask. I always ask. I say, how many of you are lean enthusiasts, have read the books and have practiced lean manufacturing? And, and if, if there's somebody or more, if there's, some, if there's somebody in the audience who's done that, I apologize in advance because you know, there's a mountain mm -hmm. of content on this. How many of you had to learn a different language in order to do it? Right, right. And, and when I talk about it, I'm, I'm not trying to be reductionist about it, but I am going to pull out the two or three things that are relevant yeah. to the conversation I want to have. And it's, it's like one of the rocks at the top of the mountain, yeah. right? And so I, and so I, I'm not uh, reducing the process. But anyway, the uh, point, uh, point being is that the principles behind these ideas are generally the same. In all of these ideas, the customer is central to the mm -hmm. success. Mm -hmm. In all of these ideas, we are looking for the customer to react in a particular way to indicate to us, to signal to us that we've delivered some kind of value or that they have some sort of a need that we're trying to fulfill. Mm -hmm. and, in, and in all of these cases, we, uh, we uh, espouse the principles of rapid learning, iteration, course correction and pushing decision-making and autonomy down to the people closest to the work in, in right. all of these things. Right. right? And so, so the principles are the same. Hmm. And so if we can build this so back to our culture conversation, if yep. we can build those principles into our culture, well then the teams can then just go and they can pick a technique from design thinking, a lean technique, a lean yeah. startup technique, an agile technique, whatever works, right. And put the pieces together to create a process that works for them at the moment, because it, as long as it embodies the principles that we're trying to live, right? Then, then it's great. It works. Yeah, that's that's great. I think that's a lot of what we um, we try to adopt here at Crema, and we would agree with that. I kind of you know I poke at it because I think that's what people are wanting is that answer, which one's right. And so um, I love your approach to that. Well, I want to move forward a little bit. So. Um, I'm kind of curious to see, and I'm going to, I'm going to broaden my uh, couple questions I had into one. What, what do you think is the biggest objection with your consulting or your time with companies, either the organizational level or on the team level? What's your biggest objection to this way of working or this move towards this? Uh, it's interesting. I was just talking about this with a client this week. Um, the, the objections are consistent. Hmm. And that's, to me, that's one of the most fa fascinating things about all of this is earlier this week, I was with a client uh, in the cement and mining industry. Right. As one is. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> um, you, you know, I, uh, I know nothing about the <laughs> cement and the mining industry. Yeah, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. But this is a tech team. Yeah. Right? And, oh, I, cool. I, know, and, yeah. and I, know, I know tech teams. Yeah. Right? Now they service and provide value to these organizations. Um, the challenges that they face are the exact same challenges that I see in every client that I have in financial services, right. in retail, in insurance, in whatever, uh, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so th these obstacles, generally speaking, are um, we don't get, we, we don't manage our teams for learning. We don't mm -hmm. ma manage our teams for curiosity. We manage our teams to delivery, to productivity, um, to, to get things done. And that's output. built up. Yeah. Yeah. It's output, right? Yeah. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing. And, and so changing that conversation, you know, it's so easy to say outcomes over output, but it changes everything. Mm -hmm. it, it, it changes planning. It changes budgeting. It mm -hmm. changes, um, 
the power uh, sharing structure between bosses and and individual contributors because right, traditionally right. you know if i'm your boss i tell you what to do right but in this new world i point you in a direction and i say look go figure out how to how to you know achieve that particular outcome or that goal um yeah. and so that is uh you know to me that's one of the biggest objections that i see is is we are not set up to run our projects this way our products our initiatives it's mm-hmm. it's a um and and, and to me, that that's where the stuff inevitably breaks down. They have no they have no issues at all bringing in agile, right? Mm-hmm, right. Um, and and running Scrum and building Scrum teams because they believe that this will make us more efficient. But the original spirit of agility is lost in that sense. Yeah, no question. I I think that's that's similar similar to what we hear and it's similar to what we experience. Real. I mean, if we if we're honest, when we come up against a wall of like, why isn't this working? It is because we're, we're even constantly, you know, spend 10 years in, but we still struggle with it ourselves. Um, it's easy to slip back into that output mode or to that, uh, just tell me what to do and we'll get it done. It's one of the reasons our contract, like I said, our contracts, we don't have deliverables in our contracts. Um, you're, you're really paying for a, uh, a dedicated team to move towards goals and outcomes. Um, and, and our results are, are really trying to work with you to figure out how to get there. Um, and, Again, hard sell. Once they get in it, it works really well. Um, I know the pain of that sell very well. We, we ran an agency as well for four years trying to sell work this way, and it's it's extremely difficult. Yeah, it's it. We've been we've been blessed. It's gone really well, um, but it is it is one of those. It is a challenge. So, um, okay. Well, moving forward, um, I I love to kind of give an opportunity maybe for you. Um, what is I, I, I love war, war stories. When I get together with people, uh, you know, other agency owners or other people in this industry. What's a good, what's a good like battle story that you have of this either going terribly wrong or it a situation just not playing out the way you had hoped it to go um, that maybe somebody could learn from um, and maybe not go that way or not go that direction? You know, it's interesting there. When we were running our agency, Neo, out of New York City, and we had a couple offices elsewhere, um, we had this hypothesis that said we could sell trainings and workshops Mm. as lead gen for project work. So our business was 90, 95% product design and development. Yep. Yep. And I was working as part of the company with this basically a side business or like a secondary revenue stream doing content, education, training, workshops, that kind of thing. And while I was generating you know, decent, decent revenue for, for the company. The question came up time and time again is, can we use this to drive kind of the bigger value engagements mm. for right. us? And man, we tried, we tried forever for a year, for a year and a half for two years, really trying to figure out how to transition straight out of a workshop into a project and, and really try to s- sell them both together. Um, and we just could not figure it out. It was, um, you know, you're, you're selling, you're selling to, to two different buyers yeah, that's in right. most cases, that's right. yeah, uh, who have two different needs. Um, they have two different timelines, and, uh, and and so all of these things needed to li- like they needed to line up, right? We'll sell you the workshop, and then we'll sell we'll sell you the product. The and all that timing has to be perfect as well. But right, 
Yeah. Right. Um, or, or, you know, oh, hey, we have a few dollars left for training this year, so we just want to buy that. And we'll do product stuff next year. It just was a disaster. It really was. And we kept trying and we kept trying and it kept failing. And we knew, we knew it was not the way to go. And yet we love our ideas. And so, <laughs> We've seen it work maybe 40% of the time, if we're lucky, um, you know, and, and I think, but most of the time you're right. I mean, they're just two, two different engagements. They're two different purposes. Yeah. 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 No, that's helpful. Um, okay, so I, I I always like to learn. I like to understand how people that are thought leaders how they themselves get more thoughts. So, what's what's an area that you go to, or where's what's somebody that maybe you've been reading or something you're listening to right now that you're learning from that you're excited about? Um, you're soaking up knowledge from the the places the place that I learn the most. So I, these days I'm self employed. Sure and. I work either from my home office or from an airplane or from the client space where I'm delivering work. Right, right. right. That, generally speaking, that's where I work. The challenge for me in that situation is exposure to others, particularly others who do the kind of work that I do and how they do what they do. And so two years ago, maybe even three years ago now, uh, I started a private Slack channel. Mm. And I invited people that I knew that sure. did what I do for a living and people that I respected in the space who do rough, roughly what I do for a living, right? So they're consultants, they're working in business agility, organizational transformation, agile, lean, design thinking, UX, yep. that kind of stuff. Yep, absolutely. And in the last two to three years, we've really uh, had a, a refinement of that group into a core set of about 20 or so people who use it as our office, basically. It's, it's, it's our, oh, the yeah. social aspects, right? The social yeah. and the yeah. kind of the, the professional development aspects of our office. And so uh, I'm not going to share any of the names of the people in there, but sure. you've heard some of these names, right? Yeah. They're, they're yeah, not good. super, they're not like we're not massive celebrities, right? But they're, they're people who do the same work that I do. And the nice thing about it is we share tons of, tons of war stories. Yeah, right. In there. How, and we ask questions. Hey, how did you solve for this? How did you solve for this? Anybody got a good technique for teaching X, mm. right? And, and so there's a lot of that, which to me has is, is been tremendously valuable. And then the good news is, is that most of those folks have written books um, uh, or are writing books. And yeah. generally yeah. speaking, they're good. Uh, they're good books. And so I've been reading those and learning from those guys as well. Or we collaborate, right? There's, that's the yeah, nice thing. I, I is wondered that, if that happened from that. Yeah, it's great. It does. It does. You know, often, you know, an opportunity will come my way or somebody else's way where they can't deliver it by themselves mm -hmm. uh, for a variety of, of, of reasons. And so we'll bring others in, build a curriculum together and then teach, teach together and, and learn from each other. And it's, it's been, it's been the most valuable thing I've done since writing Lean UX. <laughs> I, I think that's fantastic. We have, we have this thing where we're kind of coining or terming um, our product teams, obviously, are the cross-discipline teams. The teams that execute is the way we talk about it. Um, and then there's what we call craft teams. And so both in our organization and we kind of train our clients to do the same is that what we say is that you can get isolation. You can get very much people being siloed inside of their product team, um, especially if you only have one designer or you may be a one product manager. And it's really difficult to figure out how to learn and grow. And so we actually ended up creating, we're big enough now that we have multiple product teams. And so we um, kind of organically happened and then we, we wrapped it up in something that felt a little bit more structured where each of our craft teams will get together every two weeks. 
Uh, they have a shared Slack channel. Um, and then they do the same thing. They share war stories across, um, clients, as long as they're not sharing IP and, um, talk about what's going well or a tactic that works or, you know, a new framework that they tried out or a new design library or whatever that might be. Um, and then they get together and they demo things every two weeks for a couple hours together. Um, and that has been, honestly, it's been really revolutionary for our company and the way that we work and how the teams now have, a, um, both an excitement about their craft and getting, becoming experts and also an excitement about taking that back and executing inside of their team. So I love you're doing that in just a different context. It's great. Um, I want to wrap up here. I know we don't have much time and I'm already a couple minutes over. Um, but two things I want to do, actually, let's just start with the first, what would you say is kind of a, a first action step? If somebody's listening right now, what's, what would you say is the first thing that they should be doing to move towards this, this, um, way of working in their teams to get started? Yeah. So, so I think the, the first, the, the easiest conversation, not the easiest, the first, it's not an easy That's conversation. Fair. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> I know. The, the, the first conversation I think they should have is with their teams and with their stakeholders to reframe the work that they're doing as a pro to a problem to solve. To me, mm. if you, if you can start to think about what you're doing, not as, Hey, I'm building you an app. What I'm actually trying to do is reduce your communication costs. Right. 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 Um, I'm trying to reduce your communication costs. Now an app might be the way to do that. Uh, maybe there's a different way to do that. Let's figure that out. But ultimately what's the problem that we are solving for? Uh, to me, that is the most proactive thing that you can do because it inevitably forces you to have a conversation about the customer mm -hmm. the pain points that you're solving for the customer, the business need you're trying to meet. And, and, and it forces a measure of success that is not an output because if someone says, well, someone say, well, how, uh, we're trying to reduce communication costs. And how do you think we'll do that? Um, well, we'll build an app. Okay. <laughs> and it immediately um, goes to an output. <laughs> right. And, and five, okay. And how will we know that the app worked? Well, people uh -huh. will actually be uh, calling the call center less. Oh, uh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Now we're talking about a behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it forces that conversation, um, which is great because then we can say, well, how do we know the app will do that? Well, we think it will. Okay. When, what is it? How long will it take us to make an app? What does it cost? Right. Can we find out with a tenth of the budget? That, that kind of, and, and so it leads to those subsequent conversations. So reframe the work as a problem to solve rather than a solution to implement uh, forces that curiosity conversation. I love it. There's a company in, um, in Liverpool um, called Form. Um, they're a small group of consultants. They're previous agency owners. They're fantastic people. They, um, they, they, they're British, right? So they have all their British words and they call it the afters. And so for them, it's what are the afters? What is, what's the outcome? What's, what, what are the things that you would get by doing this thing? What, what does someone get by having an app? Um, and you're getting to the same thing, which is um, a reframing. What, what are, what's the problem, the real problem we're trying to solve for people? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the question that I teach every team that I work with, and that could be an executive team, an HR team, a product team, whatever, is if we get this right, what will people be doing differently? Right, good. Um, and people is customers, staff, yeah. executives, whoever, right? That's fantastic. Well, I, I, I'm already over my time. I, I know you're a busy guy. So I really want to give you a chance. What what I want to give you a chance to plug, right? What's, what do you have going on right now? What's something that the, the world can know that you're working on that they want, uh, you want them to be aware about? The most exciting, the, th the thing I'm most, I'm most proud of at the moment is uh, Sense and Respond Press. Josh Seiden, my co-author and I have put together a business book publishing press 
called Sense and Respond Press. Lean versus Agile versus Design Thinking was the first book on it. Since then, we have published seven more books. There's four more in the works. Um, short, practical books for busy executives, topics like business agility, uh, digital transformation, product management, design. And ultimately, the real reason, I mean, I'm proud of it because of that, but we've unlocked the first book for a few really smart people who really deserve mm. to have their ideas heard. And we continue to do that. And so always looking for submissions from other folks as well. Oh, and, okay, um, good. and it's a, uh, it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's a, it's a side hustle. It's, I love it. It's a startup and um, we are, you know, slowly iterating it forward into more than just a book publishing business, but more of a, a content business as well and delivering the content in various ways through speaker series and, and other things as well. And all the titles are really intriguing. Um, I think, I, I, again, I showed it to the team and each one of them kind of grabbed at a different book because um, it's, a, it's a really varying um, different topics, all kind of leading towards that kind of organizational structure and, and way of thinking. But I really love what you're doing. Um, super impressed. I hope to kind of continue to follow um, where you go. Um, um, and maybe one day we'll cross paths again in the future. But thank you so much for spending the time uh, to chat with me today. I hope that um, this has been helpful for you and a, an opportunity to kind of to pick your brain in different ways than maybe is normal. Thanks for having me on the show, George. It was awesome. Cool. Thanks. Man, I really love that conversation with Jeff. It was so exciting to hear more about how he's thinking about what makes incredible cultures and effective teams. His writing and his work has shaped really who Krima is today. So uh, what a pleasure it was to talk to him. As always, thank you so much for listening to Option 5. I hope this has been useful for you. If you want to support us, you know, make sure you subscribe so you get it in your inbox every Monday. And also make sure you give us a five-star review. It tells the world that we exist. If you want to, share this podcast with your friends, with your coworkers, with your boss, and let them know that Crema is trying to produce content that is valuable for you. If you haven't heard of Crema before, go check out crema.us. We're a product uh, digital product agency. We build products with some of the world's top companies, and we love thinking about how to build product cultures that do that the best way. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.